I have uh, trouble standing still with that little tune. How's everybody doing? We doing well? My name uh, is, is Dave. Uh, I am the associate campus pastor over at the, the Wheaton campus of the Compass Church. And I am, I'm excited about being here, but I'm also a little nervous. And, and to be honest with you, it's not nervous because I have a chance to stand in front of all of you. I'm nervous because... Uh, the passage that I have been led to uh, share with you is something that I have not perfected yet, and so I'm learning along with you. And it uses a word that causes some people to, I mean, to be honest with you, it's just, it, it's, a, it's a bad word these days. And so uh, I hope we can really look at what God means by that and, and have a little grace as we do it. So this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to first uh, just read the passage, and then I want to pray, and then we'll dive into it and start talking together. Is, is that all right? So we're going to be looking at Romans uh, chapter 6. And so if you want to grab a Bible, you can open it up and follow along with me. If not, you can just listen to my soothing voice as I, as I read it. Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. This is what it says. What then? Shall we sin just because we are under the law, but under, we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are a slave of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin... You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. And I just ask that you would speak to us. I ask that we would hear your truth and that your truth would set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, like I said, this, is, this scripture is becoming one of my favorite passages, but it's also becoming one of my least favorite passages. And the reason is it's been convicting and that one word that we're looking at, if you didn't pick it up, it repeats the word a whole lot. But in order to explain why this convicts me, I have to first explain a little bit of my, my Christianity. And what I have in my hand is an insurance policy. I never look at it. It's actually a fire insurance policy, and if I ever have a fire, I'll need it. But if I don't have a fire, I just kind of live my life how I want to and try not to catch things on fire. And that's kind of how I roll. That's kind of how my Christianity was when I grew up. I went to a church that told me that if I have Jesus, I don't need to go to hell. And then they gave me a movie or showed me a movie that showed me what hell was like. And it was hellish. 
And I decided I didn't want to go there. And so I said, I need Jesus in order not to go to hell. And so I kind of had Jesus, and my Christianity was kind of like fire insurance. I knew there were a couple big sins in my young eyes that I should stay away from. I, I should go to church every Sunday. I should not drink alcohol. I should definitely not swear. And I should obey my mom and dad. And if I do those things and go to church, I'm pretty set. I got my, you know, insurance policy in my back pocket. And so I kind of lived my life however I wanted. And whenever I got nervous about, am I actually saved? Does, does Jesus really love me? I just kind of would pull out my insurance policy. I'd say that little salvation prayer again and be like, boom, I'm set. I'm good. I'm all right. And then I'd live however I wanted to. And I felt pretty free and pretty happy and thought that was okay. The truth is, is the scripture we just read uses this word, that describes us all as different. It pretty much says, and the word is slave. I mean, if you think about the word slave these days, it's a, it's a horrible word. I mean, our country's past. We, it's horrible. That it, pure evil. Let's be honest with it. The atrocities that go on through this world where somebody else owns somebody else is a, is a horrible thing. And it's abusive and, and absolutely uh, despicable. But God must mean something different because in this he actually says that we are all slaves to something. It says you're either slaves to sin or you're slaves to obedience. And one leads to death and one leads to life. And so hopefully we can look at it that there has to be some sort of positive thing in this idea of slavery that God could actually bring out. So I'm just going to ask that you'd, you'd bear with me a moment and take all of the... the emotional, sometimes even anger, a righteous anger that comes with the word slavery that we know of it as saying, set it aside and let's kind of with an open mind, let's look at what the Bible actually talks about slavery so that we can look at this passage in a way. Now, I started doing it because I, it was hard for me. I, I had a friend who uh, invite, he was from this campus, invited me out to, to lunch. We're sitting at lunch. He goes, hey, I heard you're speaking in a couple weeks. And I said, yeah. And he's like, tell me what you're going to talk about. And I said, we're going to be talking about being slave to God. And he's like, what? I'm going to slave to God. And he goes, what? I go, slave to God. It was even hard for me to say it. And he goes, oh, don't, don't you use that word. There'll be too many people that are going to react wrong to that. Don't you use that word. And I was like, but that's what the Bible says. And, and so we're going to use the word. And so I started studying and say, man, there's got to be something good out of this. And I opened up one of my youth study Bibles. It should be called the Smart Bible because it's smarter than I am. Uh, and it had a, uh, a little section in it, and it says, does the Bible support slavery? And then it has a couple paragraphs after it, and I'd like to read those paragraphs to you because they say it really well. So this is what it says. The institution of slavery, as described in these verses, was a social structure devised to deal with debt and human need. The debt incurred in, in the ancient world was not consumer debt, but resulted instead from poor harvests. People had to feed themselves, and if the harvest was insufficient to either feed them for the year or gave insufficient grain for the following year's seed, the family was in danger of starvation. They could only survive on the excess or success of a neighbor, and a couple of years of bad harvest were devastating. This was not a society based on money, so the only way the debt could be repaid was through the labor of a man or his family. Thus, some forms of slavery were really an economic system designed to preserve life and dignity, not take it away. 
The unfortunate could regain their dignity through honest work. And those who were in position to help did not simply provide charity. While it was a system meant to establish justice for all, it could, and and it was, as any human institution can, it was abused. And so I want us to sort of look at this. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a experiential learner. And so uh, I started using my imagination to sort of think, what would this be like? And so I, I created a little story in my head that I'd like to share with you. These are real characters, totally fake situation. Real characters, totally fake situation. So don't forget that. So one of the characters, Dave Griffin. Hi. <laughs> the other character is Jeff Griffin, senior pastor of this church, older brother of mine. And we're in the same family. So this is kind of where my mind went. Now, Dad decided to in, in give us some of the, the inheritance. And so our dad in the ancient world, because in my imagination, that's where we are in the moment, gave us some plots of land. Jeff, being the preferred son, being the, <laughs> the oldest and serious son, was given the riverside property. Big house, he could walk right out, dip his feet in the river. It was flowing right next to beautiful birds. That's how I pictured it. And was like, huh, huh. Dave, now dad didn't love me any less, but he knew I was a bit more rugged than my older brother. Gave me the mountain property, maybe to be able to ski, I don't know. But I didn't have any access to water, so I had to do a little extra work. And I dug a well, thanks be to God. It had a spring, and so I had good water there. Now during the rainy years, when everything was good, both brothers, Dave and Jeff, were prosperous. They were even making some money. And so it was kind of a cool thing because their crops were good, families were fed, they were doing well. Then a drought came. Now Jeff, because of the drought, had to do a complicated irrigation system in order to water his crops. Dave just downsized a little bit and said, hey, I'm just going to do what I can do and water things with my well. Jeff in his thing also what happened the next year as he's fighting the drought the locust came in and locusts they're smart and they decided hey green is more in the river valley than up in the mountains left the mountains alone and the locusts just went whoo and wiped out the river valley which was Jeff's poor crops and the river dried up and now Jeff is standing on his inheritance that is dead and is dry and he is going to starve. And as he is sitting there saying, what am I going to do? If he stays there and fights it on his own, he and his family are going to starve to death. But he looks up to yonder hills. And what does he see there? But a little green plot of land up there. And he knows that's where brother Dave lives. I think I'll sell myself to him. Why would he do that? Because he gets a roof over his head. He gets a job and him and his family don't die. And so he goes, sweet, we get some food to eat. And so he goes over there and says, Dave, I'd like to be your slave. And Dave, why would he do that? Because he can finally rule over his older brother. No. He does it because he looks at it and says, it benefits me also. I've had to downsize because I can't get the water out of my well. I can only work so much. Now with two of us, we could triple the size, we could double the size of my farm. We could actually prosper while working together. Now, what the Bible says in this one, that's how it's supposed to work. That's actually a blessing to both people, the owner and the slave. And then it says it's not forever. After six years of honest work on the seventh year, the owner should set free the slave and bless him with all that he has helped them win. And so they should go away with tons of blessing. And then you look at it and the drought should be done by then. This is a blessing for both. 
That's the type of slavery that God was designing as we are talking about this. The earth and humans have totally, uh, what's the word I want to use, broken that. And it is horrible, the slavery we see today. But that's kind of God's plan in this one. And if we look at our scripture, I want us to specifically look at at, at one verse. It says this, but now that you have been, it's in Romans 6 verse 22 again. It says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. You see, basically because of sin and my type of religion, actually, the scripture says is what you obey is your master. Think about my Christianity. I stayed away from some major sins. I went to church every week, but really I did what I wanted. And whenever I got nervous, I pulled out my insurance policy. But I lived my life how I wanted to live, just trying to be a good guy. Who am I serving? So then who is my master? I am. And Dave, masters Dave, equals sin. And according to this it says that I'm heading towards death. I'm standing in a, in a field that is, is dead, that is not growing, that cannot feed me. But Jesus Christ had a plot of land, a plan in order to save us. And what is it? He died and rose again to set us free from our sin. You see how that looks and relates? He looks and says, you don't have to die. I will pay your debt of sin for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's interesting though, if you look at this verse, it says this. But now that you have been set free and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap. But now that you've been set free, there's something that happened here is Jeff in our story was set free. There's another step that he actually was able to take according to scriptures. And I want to read this to you. So if we actually go to the original scriptures that God talks about slavery. It's in Deuteronomy 15. After uh, he's explaining all of these laws, after you have set your slave free and you have blessed him with all of his prophets and you're about to live apart, the Bible then says this in Deuteronomy 15 verse 16. It says this, But if your servant says to you, I don't want to leave you, because he loves you and your family is well off with you, then take an awe. Push it through his earlobe into the door, and he will become your servant for life. Do the same for your female servants. Basically, what that is and is saying is, is Jeff has an opportunity after being given freedom to set that freedom aside and to go back into slavery if it truly benefits him. Now, you look at that and say, why would anybody, when they are given freedom, then turn around and give it away? Jesus kind of does the same thing, and this is what our Romans passage is. He has bought us, paid our debt of sin, set us free from those consequences, and sort of said, so what are you going to do with it? What I did with it? I made it into an insurance policy and stuck it in my back pocket and continued doing and living how I wanted to live. That's still me being my master. This is actually calling us to where we become slaves of God. We actually are given freedom, but then we set it down and pick up slavery again. I don't know about you, but I like me. 
And so if we're going to look at this, i got to figure out why would I ever want to do this? The scripture that we we're just looking at says, the benefit you reap. The reason I'd want to do this is there's a benefit to it. I wonder what that benefit is. If you look at the scripture, it seems like the benefit you reap leads to holiness. Holiness is being set apart for God, working for him. We think that that might be the benefit, but that's not it. Because it says the benefit leads to holiness. So that's not the benefit it's talking about. Then it must be after that. And the result is eternal life. It's not that either, because that's the result of holiness. It's great and it's wonderful, but what is the true benefit of handing our freedom and setting it down and picking up slavery? If you go back to our verse in in, in Deuteronomy, what was it? If you loved the master. The benefit is the master. And so what is the benefit here is that we are God's slave. The benefit that we get if we actually step into slavery of God is that we have God as our master. He's the true benefit. Now, again, I sit there and look at this. I don't know if you've ever been in a job or anything where you've had somebody in authority over you who doesn't know what they're doing. I don't know if you've ever been there where you're sitting there, you look at it and they're telling you, hey, you need to do this. And they have all authority to tell you what to do. And you're kind of going, I don't know what this guy's talking about. But that's difficult to do. And so we need to look at God's leadership. And there are three things that stick out in my uh, head, in my heart. There are, when we talk about God's leadership, and there's so many different aspects of it. I mean, he's, he's God. But there are three things that really jump out to me. And the first one steps right out of the same verse, that we have been set free from sin. It's this term called forgiveness. God is a forgiving God. I want to throw out a, a, just another verse and read it to you. It's in Psalm 130. Uh, it is verse 3 and 4, and it says this. If you, Lord, keep a, a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you, the Master. If we decide to set our freedom down from sin, and actually turn and hand ourselves over in slavery to the master God, what happens is he is forgiving. Our past mistakes no longer define us. Our present scheming no longer defines us. Even our future errors don't define us anymore. Why? Because we are now defined by the blood, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our master. Because he is forgiving, his forgiveness is part of what comes when we hand over our lives to him. And what we have done, what we will do, is forgiven. The other thing is, and I love this one, look at this verse. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, it says this. He is the rock. He wor- his works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just as he. This describes God as perfect. So what does that mean? God's leadership is perfect. God's not going to just lead us in wisdom, but he's going to lead us in perfect wisdom. God's just not going to be a good leader making good decisions. He's going to make perfect decisions for us. God in who he is as in, in, in his nature cannot lead us into a mistake. Why? 
Because he is perfect. Now, whether we follow him or not, that's, that's up to us. But God's leadership will always be perfect for you and for his kingdom. Now, let's be honest about it. In God's leadership, it's never easy. It usually involves us sacrificing something. And it's usually not comfortable for us. But it is always perfect. Why? Because that's who the master is. That's the benefit we get. And the last and third one, not only is God forgiving, and not only is he perfect in his leadership, but John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. He loves the world. That's us. We are guaranteed that his leadership is bathed in love. His motivation, being our master and leading us, is our best It might make a sacrifice and it might not be easy and it'll definitely cause us to be uncomfortable a little little bit, but we can be sure that it is what is best for us. Why? Because God and who he is can't help but love each and every one of us together and as individuals. And when we hand him our lives in slavery, that's the master we get. That's the benefit. That's what real life is. The other religion where we just start, hey, hey, but I'll handle it myself, actually leads to death. But when we hand him and say, now you got to listen to this for a second, because slavery means something. This isn't just saying, God, I want to work for you. This is saying, God, your mastery, this benefit is so amazing. Your forgiveness, your perfection, your love. God, I want you to own me. I want you to tell me how to talk to my family. I want you to tell me how to spend my money. God, I want you to guide me in my free time. God, when I'm in the supermarket, how do I treat the people on the line in front of me? God, when there's a fight in the family, how do you want me to behave? And God, what friends do you want me to have? What friends do you not want me to have? And God, how do you want me to speak to those friends? God, when I'm alone, what would you like me to do? And I can trust it and be excited about it. Why? Because I know you are forgiving. I know you are perfect. And I know you love me. He is the perfect forgiving and loving master. As I was sitting here thinking about it, I was like, man, how could I actually uh, paint this? And, you know, I'm not the smartest dude around. But I have made three decisions And they have been life-changing for me. And all three of those decisions have a couple characteristics. I didn't want to do them. I had what Dave wanted to do, what I thought was right, and I had what God was calling me to do. And I had to make the decision of, am I actually owned by God? Do I actually have to do his will, or can I do what I want to do? And in each one of these decisions, I stepped in and actually did what what God wanted me to do. And it was not easy. Definitely caused me to sacrifice made me a little uncomfortable, but they were the best decisions ever. One of them was to actually work full-time in ministry. From about five or six years old, I knew what I wanted to be. And I even threw a little bit for Jesus on it just to make me feel good. All right? And if you know me, you know what it is. I was going to be a ski bum for Jesus. 
And I wore that proudly and walked around with it. And you know, people be like, yes, my name is Reverend so-and-so. And I'd be like, yes, my name is Ski Bum for Jesus Dave. Woo! I used it as a title, and I was excited about it. And I figured, man, I'm Norwegian. This is what my blood is. This is what God has called me to be. This is awesome. And then senior year in college, I had this professor start talking about him being missionaries in Mexico. And I was like, nope, not for me, because there's no snow there. There's no skiing, and I know God what you... And I mean, literally, I was having arguments with God, saying, but God, look, you don't understand. Look how you've made me. Look at this. I'm going to ski these hills for your glory, God. It's going to be awesome. And deep inside, he's saying, no, this is what... And I came to the question of, who owns Dave? Do I trust his forgiveness and his perfection and his, and his love? And so, begrudgingly, I said, all right, I'll give you a year, God, and I'll go for... And, you know, I'll be a missionary in Mexico for a year, and then I'm going to go do what you really want me to do. Ended up staying there for 10 years. Best decision ever. It taught me to love other people more than I love myself. It taught me that God actually wants to use me to change the people around me. It made me understand that we're here for a higher cause than just to make me happy, but I'm here to be a slave for God and be a light to this world. Best decision ever. Even in that moment, just you know, a little bit past me while I was in Mexico, I had something else happen. You see, um, my brother gets up here every once in a while and he kind of brags about, I've only dated one girl my whole life. You know, we dated, they dated eight years before they got married. I myself was a little different. I mean, let's just be honest. It was kind of more like 31 flavors. You know, it was one of those things. Now, to be honest, when you do it, I look for it. It was one of those where I wanted all of my relationships to be simple and fun. And whenever it became non-simple and non-fun, I was not there anymore. And so basically it was one of those where stuff like love or commitment or long term or Dave, you have to change, all that sort of stuff. That was complicated to me. I just would back out and I'd put a little Jesus-y on it. This is because Paul said it's better for me to be single to serve the Lord. And so I'm going to be single for Jesus. And I would, you know... Bless myself right out, of the, right out of the relationship. And then while I'm in Mexico, I'm serving alongside this young lady who is 100% Mexico, Mexican. Her name is Conce. And I've never seen anybody serve the Lord like that or love the Lord like that. And besides being beautiful like that, I started feeling myself kind of heading. And I knew this was going to be complicated from the very get-go. I mean, she's 100% Mexican, different culture, different language. She's like a spicy enchilada. I'm a piece of Wonder Bread with the crust cut off. (laughs) And I know for sure this is going to be complicated. My parents wanted me to marry a nice Norwegian girl. I can't get any farther away from that. And as I sat there and looked at it, and I I remember remember actually praying, God, I have never met such a beautiful and special and amazing woman. But Lord, please don't let me fall in love with her because that's complicated. You know you want me to serve you simply. And then it came to the point of saying, God, this is what I would like to do. This is what scares me to death. And I stepped in because I could trust his forgiveness. I could trust his perfection. I could trust that he actually loved me. Best decision ever. I have the perfect soulmate that walks with me. She loves the Lord like I've never have seen before. Still, she has helped me love the Lord like I've never seen before. She accepts me exactly for who I am. And she doesn't let me get away with anything. She's the perfect match for me as we are ministering together. Best decision ever because I'm a better 
guy in general because God put her at my side. And the last is the Compass Church. I just wanted you guys to know, and I'd say this in the nicest of ways, I didn't want to be here. You see, I had just worked myself out of a job in sort of a bigger church. And yes, Jeff was the pastor there also. But I, I mean, I had kind of a fancy title. I was over a huge youth group. I had nine or eight or nine employees. And it's one of those is where, you know, naturally you, you don't want, you want to go there. You want to, and I kept thinking, well, maybe I, it's my turn. I'm, you know, mid forties, maybe it's my turn to be a, a senior pastor. Maybe, maybe it's my turn to step out from the shadow of my brother and be Dave Griffin for Jesus. And maybe it could just be that's one of those things where I could go to Africa and, and rock the world for Africa or maybe South America and be a missionary again where finally my name would be in lights. Dave Griffin, great Christian dude. Woo! And they said, hey Dave, would you want to go to the Wheaton campus? And I said, well, no, no, I graduated from Wheaton. And I said when I was done there, never going back. And I had this little wrestling with God. I'm going back to being a youth pastor. I've, I've done that. And anyways, I'm mid-40s. I'm too old for that. And I kind of sat there and I had all these different excuses and I didn't want to do it. And I stepped into it because that's what God was leading. And I even said, said to all the leaders of the church, I'll do it for one year. Then I'm going to go do mission stuff for God. Going on my third year, never have I been supported like a family like the Compass Church. Never have I had ministry opportunities like the family of the Compass Church. Never have I witnessed God doing such amazing things as right where I'm at. I'm exactly where God wants me to be. I just last week we were in Pittsburgh with a group of students on a missions trip. And I watched this kid and he was one of those kids where you would actually look at it and say, I don't think God could use that kid. God might be all powerful, but not that kid. And I watched him and he walked over and he got down on his knee and he sat this little kid on his knee and I'm sitting there going, oh, oh Lord, I better get over there and make sure he doesn't make a mistake because he says things he shouldn't say. And as I walked over behind him, I, he puts his arm around the kid and he says, do you know that Jesus loves you and he wants to forgive your sins and he has died to save you from those bad decisions? And the kid with tears in his eyes says, I want to be Jesus. I want to meet Jesus. And they prayed together and I'm sitting there going, oh, I'm in the perfect place. I'm exactly where God wants me to be. Why? Because my desires are not going to be my master. Because I have the benefit of having the master of the God of the universe who is forgiving, who is perfect in his leadership, and who loves me in every way that he guides me. The way to truly live is being a slave of God. And I hope that you would realize that your life has been bought with an amazing price. Our lives. And we can go along, go to church, and do what we want to do. Or we can come to that point and look and say, God, I want to be your slave. I want you to own me. So that I am led with your forgiveness I am led with your perfection and I am led by your love so that my life truly lives. Because according to our scriptures, the alternative is not good. So Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much.
I thank you for taking me, someone who does not deserve even to be your slave, and set me free from my sin. And God, I turn to you with the only true response I can and say, Lord, I know I'm not perfect, but man, I want you to be my master. I want you to own me. And God, I just pray for all of us here. Would you please give us the desire to be owned, to be enslaved by you, God, because of your forgiveness, your perfection, your love. Be our master. In Jesus' name, amen.